You know, I, I have something funny to tell you here. You don't have to do everything you're told. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't necessarily know that for a while. And today's guest, Dr. Vanita Glenn White, uh, she learned that as well as a school leader. And it had a it had an impact within the team that she was leading, specifically the math. So we're going to start today's conversation with that story. But we also get into digging into bias, right, and how we notice that within our staff or in Dr. V's setting, the college classroom, working with pre-service teachers. You're going to really enjoy this episode. And I just want to highlight quickly that uh, Dr. V has a gift for you. So if you go to drvernitafreegift.com, that's drvernitafreegift.com, you'll get 21 Essential Habits of Empowered and Influential Leaders. That'll be linked up for you as well in the show notes uh, in case you don't want to type it in yourself. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show's sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey, hey, Ruckus Maker. My friends over at SMART have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech Assessment Tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Isolation is the number one enemy of excellence, and isolation is also a choice. There's a better way. In fact, here's what Michelle, a school leader in Maryland, has to say about the mastermind. The best part of the mastermind is a supportive community. School leadership can be isolating, but knowing I have a team of other school leaders with whom to share ideas, struggles, and wins gives me the courage and resolve to do what's best for my school community. Get connected and level up your leadership by applying to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hello, Ruckus Maker. Today I'm joined by Dr. Vernita Glenn White, who's the creator of the CEO, leader, and leader for Ultimate Impact and Influence Courses, two programs that empowers educators, leaders, and trainers to reach their next level by using their voice and influence to create their own change in pathways. Dr. Vernita is a former K-12 math educator, academic instructional coach, and she's served as a district specialist for the Office of School Transformation. She's been an advisor and strategist for leaders from principals to superintendents to universities. And Dr. V has used her skills to transition into higher ed as a college professor, a national speaker, published author, world traveler. She now uses her K-20 experience of combining personal empowerment with professional development to shift the perspective of what it means to educate for transformation and impact the training and development industry at a higher level. Dr. V, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Danny. That was great. (laughs) Pleasure, pleasure. So you said something really interesting the other day. 
we don't have to do everything we're told to do. I was like, well, oh, really? Okay, great. And you have a nice story about that. So let's start there. Oh, I have a lot of stories um, about that. Let's see the one good one. I'll go back to my K-12 days. And I was part of, when I was working as an instructional coach, we were part of the differentiated accountability school. I don't know if they still do that now, but it's almost like district takeover, <laughs> you know, in schools. And people will come and tell us what to do all the time. And, you know, going along with you, like, okay, I'll do this type of lesson plan. I'll do this um, professional development. Then I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, we don't have to do everything you all (laughs) tell us to do. We have brains on our own. We know what can work for our students. We'll take your suggestions and then shape them how they could work with in our um, school building. And when I did that, there was like no repercussions. It was like, oh. Well, okay, do what, <laughs> what you think is best because no one had ever told them no. And then that was like my first realization of you don't have to do everything <laughs> that somebody tells you. So from there on, I've been living by that ever since. <laughs> it's a good principle to have. You know, I think a lot of leaders struggle with saying no, maybe have some lax boundaries and then feel, you know, stressed, right? Like totally tapped out, zero energy. Um, But part of that is saying yes to too much. And part of it is not realizing you can actually tell somebody no. And then what's interesting that as you found, they're like, oh, okay, no, you know, no problem. And all of a sudden you have some more space, time and energy. So, and how'd that work for like teachers you coached during that time? And, you know, tell me about how you're working. Yeah. With them in that moment. Well, as so, you know, the instructional coach from when I was one um, back in the day, that was the liaison between administration and, of course, the teachers. So a lot of the teachers would feel anxious about getting things done. And then when I stepped in, I said, I'll take, you know, I'm the, the barrier. I'll take whatever comes your way. You just do your job. So they felt a sense of relief. And honestly, they performed better because it was like, certain things were taken off their plate or they felt this freedom to just do what they were hired to do instead of all of these extra things that had nothing to do with instruction. So it actually improved teacher quality. Absolutely. And if I understand your career uh, correctly too, you've been working with pre-service teachers and uh, there have been some issues of of, uh, diversity and self-identity. So bring us to the classroom and how have you helped your students through that? Yes. Oh my goodness. So yes, I didn't know that was an issue until I started working at the higher ed level and my background is mathematics. I was like, okay, we're going to teach mathematics, teach you the behind the scenes of teaching and learning mathematics. And we were going along with the flow and for pre-service teachers, they have to go out into the field do their teaching and, you know, all of that. Coming back, I would always ask, how was field experience? Give me an update. One, because I wanted to hear their experiences. And two, that was kind of my gateway back into K-12. And they would tell me like horror stories about some, um, some of the things that the cooperating teachers were saying to the students, how some of the students were um, being treated, how some of the students were being outcast, just all kinds of things. And then my students started picking up on some of those behaviors because they would see their CTs doing that. And I remember one incident that started my entire shift of what I wanted to do on this career path. One of my students was telling me about a student, I'll just call her Maria. And my student said, well, this Maria doesn't like me. 
And I was like, well, Maria's in third grade. What do you mean she doesn't like you? You know, um, she said, well, she's new to the school and she's just not connecting with me. And I said, well, in all honesty, you're only there two days a week. And if she's new, she's trying to figure out what's happening. You know, you, a person shows up for two days and then leaves for the rest of the week. I mean, it's probably a lot for her. So she doesn't know you. And then something inside of me said, no, <laughs> dig a little deeper. So I asked my student, I said, tell me about the conversation <laughs> that you, the types of conversations you've been having with Maria. And she said, well, I've been helping her with reading. And I said, I know you're new to this country. I know you probably can't read. I'm here to help you. And I said, well, is Maria new to the country or is Maria new to the school? She was like, well, I just assumed that, and this is what she said. I just assumed that she was new to the country because she's Hispanic. Her name, well, I'll say Maria. Her name is Maria and she wasn't talking. So I just figured she couldn't learn English. I said, do you realize that you called her dumb, essentially. I said, she, and I looked up the student, all of that. I said, no, she's new to the school. She's lived in the United States all of her life. You know, she speaks English. I said, but even in, as a third grader, she knew that you were not being genuine and you, you know, you had this perception of her that she couldn't speak English because she wasn't talking to you. And that point, I started asking more students questions about their, <laughs> their backgrounds, some of, you know, the other conversations they were having with students. And then that uncovered a lot. Like my students had never really been around students of color. They never had a black professor or black teacher ever in their entire education career. And it was just a lot of things we had to uncover. So I had to put like mathematics on the back burner and start dealing with belief systems, cultural references, identity, all of that. And that's, that was that one moment that started this transition. And it's wild. I, I, um, I met my wife in uh, Texas, Houston, and she was a professor down in Galveston, University of Medical, Texas. And uh, one of her colleagues, Texan, you know, lived there his whole life, Mexican-American, right? And, and generation after generation after generation living in the area. And he'd experience bias and racism, right? Like people go back to your country type ridiculousness. And he's like, where, where is that? I've lived here my exactly. whole life. My dad lived here. My great grandpa lived, you know, everybody's lived here. We've never lived anywhere else. So we, we make assumptions, you know, and that's, I think, at the core of your story. Maybe we can speak to the ruckus maker who's listening and they're hearing their faculties uh, say some stuff that's troubling. What are some approaches or some things that they might do as a leader of a school? Yes. So I have worked with leaders of schools in this area because they are realizing that it's a bigger issue. And the first thing I say, before you can lead your staff, you need to sit down and identify any bias or your cultural frames because we all have them. And I don't know where we got this from that we can't that is bad to have a bias. I said, we all have them. It's just, what are you doing with it when it comes up? That's where the problem starts. So with the leaders that I've worked with and talked to, it's like, you have to go through that process to uncover because you can't expect your staff to do something that you haven't done. But then I've come across some who are more aware. So that's not their foundation. So the next thing I tell them is to, you need to have real conversations and set up some norms to have those conversations. And I like the norms from, um, it was, I think it's the Valencia 
college, the Peace and Justice Institute is 13 norms of how we treat each other. And it's out on their website. I use them in my workshops. And that's a good starting point to create that space where, and then when you go through, it's like 13 of them. When you, when you go through them as a group, everyone's on the same page. Everyone feels included and voices, you know, all their voices have value. And I think that's a good starting point right there to create that environment to where we can have these conversations. Yeah, that is a great place to, to start. And I uh, appreciate you unpacking that. And also saying too, you know, I mean, it, it has come to a point where uh, having a bias is, has a negative connotation, but at the end of the day, everybody's biased. If you're not bias, you're a liar, you know, but like you said, it's about awareness, which is emotional intelligence, right? And able to look within and then see how that, that uh, perspective is shaping your world. So really appreciate you sharing that. And it's wild to think, yeah, I can't imagine, let me ask you, I guess. So as a professor and here's your pre-service teacher saying these things, what's that like for you? You know, what's going through your mind in that moment? Oh, oh my gosh. It is, to be honest, it's a, it was a very hard moment. The, the area where my institution is, is not very diverse in itself. And I was thinking, okay, the outside may not be this way, but at least on the college campus, you know, it should be a little different. Not so. So being in the classroom and most of my students are white female and occasionally I have some males and every now and then I have a, a black female or, or male student. But it's, it can be very uncomfortable, especially when they are saying things like those people or why are the blacks or I don't get it. And I'm standing there like, calm down. You are the professor. <laughs> you are you are in control. But I had to step back and do some work on myself so I wouldn't get easily triggered because I said my job is to help them. And I can't help them if I keep being defensive or guarded every time they say something. Now, of course, there were some that were just hateful. But for the, for the most part, they, they just didn't know. So that's what kept me going. Like, they just didn't know. And once through this process, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I was thinking this way. So um, going back to what you said, how going through my mind at first was anger and I don't want to work here. What kind of place is this? But then I was like, I'm here for a purpose. And if I don't tap into what's happening with them, they're going to go out into the field and damage all sorts of children. <laughs> and that's what really kept me going to work on myself and move forward. I know you've told me that there's uh, three dynamics of ed leadership. And I'd love for you to unpack some of that with us. Yes. So <laughs> for ed leadership overall, I'll give you the overall and then I'll give you like my insert. So for educational leadership, and I've looked this up um, and researched it, the three parts of an educational leadership like degree or a field of study, epistemology, pedagogy, and human development. And I think as a profession or as an institution that, you know, that has this degree or this field of study, they do very well with the epistemology, which is the philosophy and the pedagogy. I think we do pretty well with that, but not so much the human development. My insert, and anybody can change these, but this is just my frame of reference, for epistemology and the philosophy, I see that as the, the way that teaching and learning is developed, or like we, we know what that is. Um, I look at it as leadership content knowledge, and that is something I studied during my dissertation, 
was what does a leader need to do outside of being the manager? What frame of the philosophy that they need to look at? And I looked at it as leadership content knowledge. The second part for pedagogy, I looked at pedagogy as culturally responsiveness. I believe all leaders need to have some sort of cultural responsiveness to, in their leadership training. And then the last part for human development, I think we do a good job of looking at how students are developed in their teaching and learning, I mean, their learning, but we don't do a good job as looking at the adults and the personal development side. And that's where I, I look at self-awareness and personal development as part of the, the entire education leadership field of study, if you would say. Dr. V, I'm really enjoying this uh, discussion. I think right now we're going to hit pause real quick for a message from our sponsor. But when we do get back, I'd like to dig into culturally responsive curriculums. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. SMART has an incredible research-backed tool that allows you as a leader to self-assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and maps some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. All right. And we're back with Dr. Vernita Glenn White. Thank you so much for being here. I mentioned how I'd like to dig into culturally responsive curriculums a bit. I want to believe that the ruckus maker listening has a sense of what that is, but in case she doesn't. You know, what do you mean by culturally responsive curriculum and what are some uh, next steps that a leader could take? You know, sometimes we think when we hear culturally responsive, it's a word that's used and it gets tossed around and people talk about it as it relates to diversity. And that is that is part of it. But culturally responsive goes deeper into we're all um, to an inclusive environment or diversity. It gets to. Who are we as people? Who are the students at their core? What are their backgrounds, their beliefs, everything that they bring with them to school? How can we use that attached to the content to get them to the next level? So it's beyond just celebrating diversity and having foods or having flag day and all of that. It's not really multicultural education, although that is a component of it, but it's really about digging deep and helping that student reach their next level with those high expectations, not dismissing what they bring into the classroom. And I think that's one of the key parts that's missing with the, with the curriculum, culturally responsive curriculum. Why, why do you think that is? Because people don't know. <laughs> they, they just don't know. I, I, I do believe this, they don't know because it's easy. And even for me, when I started studying it, 
it's really easy to blur the lines like between social justice and the multicultural education. And then now we have socio-emotional <laughs> learning, which all of that's important and is part of it. But we miss the expectations and the content piece that still needs to go along with it. And I think the content gets dropped and that's where we miss it. Have you seen your students create some culturally responsive units or lessons that really made you go, wow, that's pretty cool? Uh, Because that might inspire, you know, uh, the ruckus maker listening and what they can do in their, their school. When the students are exposed, then yes. They, they have seen things. I was like, oh, I didn't know you can. Okay, <laughs> where did that come from? And that came from the work that we did of tapping into their own backgrounds and in environments to where they may have dismissed something. I've had students who were, I can't remember. It was, it was a, part of, a part of India and she created this lesson and related to um, mathematics and then what she expected for the students to learn with their own backgrounds in mathematics in the classroom. And I was like, wow. And she did this lesson with some students and the students were responding, not realizing that they were still doing math because they weren't right, right. doing any work. <laughs> they, they were like, we hate math. But the way she set this lesson up using her experience and then pulling out those experiences from those other students, that was amazing. And I don't think that would have happened if she, if we didn't take the time to like, dig into her background and uncover some mm. things. That's a good math lesson when you're doing math and you don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> Dr. V, if you could put a message on all school marquees across the globe for just a day, what would you put on them? I would put that we can heal the nation through education because that is something I truly believe. And if we stop looking, well, that's the, the slogan. <laughs> the reason why I picked that is because if we stop just looking at education as just a series of subjects to just do, go to school, and that's it, if we truly look at what the power of education is, whether that's inside the classroom or out, I do believe that the nation can see a, a major transformation. And Dr. V, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school, and what would be your top three priorities? My dream school would not be a building. My, it would, you know, we hear doctors without borders. I'm pretty sure classrooms without borders is out there somewhere, but that's truly what I would do. And it would be more, uh, instead of teacher centered or guide centered, it would be more student centered. Like literally the student gets to decide what they want to learn at that moment. They get to pull in their own resources and the people that they're learning from are there just to guide them but not so much tell them what to do. So I don't know how that would, would be built, but I'm just imagining the student at the center and it's like a room of uh, a wall of, I guess, computers or curriculums and they get to tap into, I want to learn about aerospace design, you know, for this short amount of time. Also, I want to learn about this particular culture. I'm going to tap into these two teachers, guys, facilitators, whatever you want to call them, and then they get to work directly with them only on that to focus. And that's what um, I would see a school. That's how I would build a school. So I don't know that the top three things would be the freedom of choice. What else would be important? Transformation. So learning for a transformation, like not just getting things to just get, but learn, apply and transform. 
and to broaden their perspective. That would be a good thing to not be so limited. Yeah, I think that, I hope that answered the the question. It does, it does, it does. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Dr. V. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want the ruckus maker to remember that they have a voice and use it. If you know that something isn't right or if you want to make a change, you have to use your voice and not be afraid because you got to a leadership position, not by accident, I hope. (laughs) So stand in that power and use your voice. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.